Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. The first time that I did one of the, the deliveries, it, I would say to him, I was like, I, you know, I hope this isn't anything illegal because I'm not, I'm not into that sort of thing. And he was saying, you know, you can see that it's not anything illegal. And he's like, it's literally paperwork. Hello and welcome to Investigates. I'm your host, April Glover. On this week's episode, our guest is a young woman who has been through hell and back and is finally ready to tell her harrowing story. On April 11th, 2017, the world was introduced to 22-year-old Cassie Sainsbury. Police checked her bags at the airport and that's when they allegedly found these packets of cocaine, individually wrapped, as you can see in those images, in uh, individual packets containing headphones. A blonde-haired, blue-eyed young lady from Adelaide in South Australia. Cassie was a personal trainer. She was engaged to marry a man named Scott Broadbridge and she had a close, loving family. But Cassie's face was splashed all over the news for a sinister reason. She'd just been arrested at El Dorado International Airport in Bogota, Colombia, after custom officers found 5.8 kilos of cocaine wrapped inside her luggage. The drugs had been stashed inside the packaging of headphones. From the outside, she didn't look like a criminal at all. Her story shocked millions of people. How could this seemingly innocent, wide-eyed girl from Adelaide be a drug mule? Cassie pleaded with authorities, telling them she'd been set up. She said she had no idea there was cocaine inside her bag. I didn't do it, Mum. You have to get me out, an hysterical Cassie said during a chilling phone call home after her arrest. But Cassie's proclamations of innocence fell on deaf ears. She was charged with drug trafficking and held in a Colombian prison, awaiting trial. Under Colombian law, a drug trafficker like Cassie would face life in prison. It was just the start of a three-year nightmare for the young personal trainer. She tells her story on today's episode. Hi Cassie and welcome to Investigates. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you for inviting me. So Cassie, in 2017, you were 22 years old, you lived in Adelaide, you were engaged to a man named Scott, life couldn't be more different for you now. From the outside back then, you were living a pretty normal, happy life, but I guess something forced you to make a really bad decision, to take a job and career packages halfway across the world. Can you tell me a little bit about your life before your arrest? What was happening? Yeah, my life before I was arrested was, it was stressful. Everybody knows that it's not actually extremely easy to 
define work sometimes or life gets in the way but obviously beforehand I was I guess you could say it was a normal life like I was with Scott I had my dog we normal things like a couple and then it got to the point where Scott didn't have any work and I had stopped working where I was working because I got sick and it was like a moment where I felt we were we were drowning like we had rent to pay we had the bills to pay we had the food to buy a I had the dogs that I wasn't going to leave. I wasn't going to give them away. Like, they were my responsibility. And I was going to take responsibility for them. And so that's when, you know, it was the point where I was desperate to find work. And so I started looking for whatever work was available, pretty much. Because it's not a nice feeling when you sit back and you watch your life and you watch as it's, like, falling to pieces. And so it's, it's a horrible feeling, an absolute horrible feeling. And you had this sort of feeling of desperation which led you to take a job in Sydney as a receptionist at a brothel. And that sort of led to a few more other jobs which then resulted in you ending up in Bogota. Tell me about that job in Sydney. So it was basically the desperation that led me to accept a job there. And basically, I literally got myself into a pickle the minute I went to Sydney, pretty much. It, it wasn't anything that I expected. It wasn't anything that I wanted to do. It was sort of knowing that I didn't feel comfortable, knowing that I didn't want to do it. But at the same time, knowing, but if I don't find a way to bring money in, how are we supposed to survive? And so the job was, it had literally applied to be a receptionist there. But when I got there, it was that, you know, that I'm the sort of girl that they're looking for to be as a, as a worker, that I wasn't really what they expected as a receptionist, that I was more of the person who would uh, bring clients in. And so that's pretty much how it started. That's how everything started. And obviously some events happened in there, which caused me to sort of find other ways to come out of there. And through through the people that worked there, I was recommended to work with, with Joshua. And so it, it led from one thing to the next thing, and then, whoop, well, I knew, next thing I knew, I was in Bogota. The last thing Cassandra Sainsbury ever imagined or wanted was to become Australia's best-known overseas prisoner. It's an unwelcome label she's inherited from Chappelle Corby. But as she ponders an uncertain future in the overcrowded and filthy jail behind me, she also has plenty of time to reflect on her own stupidity. Why did she attempt to smuggle 5.8 kilos of cocaine out of Colombia. So how did Joshua tell you about this plan to deliver something to Bogota? It wasn't just from Sydney straight to Colombia. It was sort of a round-the-world trip, wasn't it? It was literally the stopover in China, in America, and then I arrived in Bogota. And basically, when I was first told about it, they tried to send me to Brazil. And when I said that I did not want to go to South America, they 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 were saying that it was for England, and so I thought, okay, well, obviously nothing nothing really bad should go wrong. <laughs> nothing should go wrong in England, and so that was, and it was basically you're going there, and when you're there, a such person is going to meet you. You know her. You know who she is. You know you've worked with her, and I was like, what? And actually, when everything changed the day that I was about to fly out, they, they changed my 
my flight and I was told, you know, it is in Colombia. And but from there they're going to be sending me off to England. When I arrived in Colombia, little lo and behold, the person I was told that was going to be meeting there, she ne she never showed up. Uh, they said that it was a problem that she wasn't able to come and neither did they send me to England. What were you told you were delivering or picking up? Honestly, I never asked any questions because through the time when I was in Sydney, like what I would what I'd be given, it was basically like one of the yellow envelopes, like the big ones, and it was literally like you can feel it, and it honestly just felt like paper. It felt like documents or something like that. So I guess you could say, like there was suspicion there, but there wasn't suspicion. But what if it was like it wasn't a led up suspicion? Did you ever feel scared or think that you were doing something wrong when you were delivering these other packages? The first time that I did one of the the deliveries, it, I would say to him, I was like, I, you know, I hope this isn't anything illegal because I'm not, I'm not into that sort of thing. And he was saying, you know, you can see that it's not anything illegal. And he's like, it's literally paperwork. I was like, okay, but obviously, so. Initially, there was there there was this the scare like a the scaredness like that's there was uh, there was the fear, but obviously through the few times that I did it, there was nothing that made me suspicious. After Cassie's arrest, which saw thousands of headlines around the world air her deepest secrets, it was hard to distinguish what was the truth, and what was a lie. Police checked her bags at the airport and that's when they allegedly found these packets of cocaine individually wrapped as you can see in those images in uh, individual packets containing headphones. Now she was arrested at the airport and she's currently uh, in prison. We're still finding out more details about how this has unfolded but her family has said that Cassandra was here in Bogota here in Colombia on a working holiday and that she became friends with a man who offered to sell her these headphones for a cheap price. Uh, she was uh, ho hoping to buy these headphones uh, as wedding presents for an upcoming wedding. Uh, however, she was stopped at the airport and had her bags searched. Her mum has since spoken to say that perhaps she was a little naive in accepting the bag and not checking what was inside them, but she's maintained her innocence and said that she uh, wasn't aware of what was inside the bag and the contents of those parcels. But there's been growing scepticism about her story. As a shy 22-year-old who had never even left the country before this ordeal, she was in way over her head. She told prosecutors she was flown into Colombia with the task of transporting documents for a payment of $10,000. Cassie said a mysterious man named Angelo was actually the mastermind behind everything. She was innocent, she said. When she tried to back out of her courier job, Cassie said Angelo threatened to hurt her loved ones. He told her he had been watching her family and Scott as they went about their lives in Adelaide. He even had pictures, she claimed. But frustratingly, Cassie couldn't prove any of this. All the evidence was logged on her phone. However, she forgot the password. So without any proof to back up her claims that she was merely a scapegoat, Cassie's hope of freedom seemed further out of reach. She faced a staggering 21 years behind bars for drug trafficking in Colombia. So what hope did she have of returning home to Australia, safe and sound? 
And fast forwarding to Bogota, how did you come to have the headphones in your possession? Okay. In one of the pubs, well, in one of the pubs, the pub, which is called uh, the, the British pub, which is located in Carrera 3. Basically, Angelo arrived. He had like a big bag. He came in. He asked the people that were working there to hide it behind the counter while, <coughs> while he had a drink. And then it was, let's go. <clears throat> he grabbed the packet. We went into the hotel and he packed, he packed that in my suitcase. Okay. Happened what happened there. And when actually I was in the airport, that was when I actually first thought that that were headphones. So you believed if you didn't go ahead with this, people that you loved would hurt or maybe even be killed? Yeah, that was sort of what he was insinuating. And so it was obviously in that moment, not knowing if it was actually true or if it was like just a scare tactic. I didn't, I didn't feel like it'd be fair if I risked something happening to them for a mistake that I, I had made by getting myself into all of this. So you found yourself in an airport with a bag full of headphones. What you didn't really re- actually know what was inside them. So it ended up with you at customs. Is that correct? And you were pulled aside, and they went to rifle through your belongings. What did you? What was going through your head at that point? Literally, the moment I got to the gateway, I I was sitting there, and when they called my name. Uh, there was three police officers that took me. They took me to customs, and the whole way there, I was like mm, vomiting up like stomach acid saliva. It was like a horrible feeling because I was like, uh, like it was like the worst feeling in my life. Like I felt like, Ugh. and then the moment when I was actually in the customs room, where you know they're like, they had a translator who. Literally did not speak English. It was very, very horrible. Um, and, you know, they basically because they saw that I didn't understand Spanish. So, you know, they pointed to the suitcase and I nodded my head. I was like, uh huh. And so they opened it. Uh, they took the package was literally on top of my clothing. It was literally just sitting there in the suitcase. They took it and they opened it and they pulled out the boxes of headphones. And I was like, okay. And so, and they opened one of the boxes of headphones and they, you know, they were going through it and then they pulled out this, this black roll from the middle of the packet and I was like, okay. And so they, they asked me, the translator said, do you know what this is? I don't know what this is. And so they're like, we need you to fill this form. And it was basically a form with my details. And they put me through an x-ray machine to, to make sure that I had nothing inside of me. And it was, you know, I, what am I signing? And basically he, the, the translator, uh, 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 like he, he didn't even know how to translate. And so the police pretty much, you know, pointed to it and like sign it. And so when I got to the police station, the, the anti-narcotica is the station that pretty much in the airport. That's when, you know, they were there, they were talking to me, you know, they're like, is this yours? And I said, no, it's not mine. They were using Google Translate on the computer. And I said, it's not mine. And so they said, what had happened? 
And I said, I've been forced to take this. And they said, so where's the number? You know, who do we contact? And so I gave them the numbers that I had of Angelo. And they, they started trying to call him. And they said, no, the phone, it's, it's turned off. From there, it was when the information got to my prosecutor, he said, no, but if the police are ready to contact him, they can't get in touch. So basically, there's nothing we can do there. And then it was, okay, the time that I was here in Colombia, I had received a Western Union from, I can't even remember the name now, from, from China. And basically, I gave the receipt of the Western Union and everything. It was a Western Union. It was, it was $200 to basically cover the cost of the hotel where I was. And from there, the, the prosecutor, he took it and he goes, oh no, this isn't, this is nothing. And it was literally left like that. They never looked into who sent me the money. They never looked at the, the CCTV footage. Um, and at the end of the day, like I was so convinced. I was like, but why is this happening? How are they not investigating anything? Because, mm. you know, in the cameras, there's in, it's impossible that in the second hearing that I had where the judge refused to accept my, my plea, uh, plea agreement because he said that the, the fiscalia, the prosecutor's office had not done their job properly. Hmm? Mm. How is it possible that I received money from somebody and they're not investigating where it came from? How is it possible that um, my plane ticket was bought and they're not investigating where it came from? How is it possible that I was in all these places and in this precise moment they weren't, they didn't have the CCT footage turned on or apparently just saying that the, the, the CD that records it is, was burnt? Like it was a lot of excuses. In the end, when I'd finally been sentenced, uh, Orlando, he asked for a copy of my, my process, my case file. And in there, they had two photos of Angelo, when one of them when he was coming out of my, my room, and another one when he was coming out of the hotel. And so, like, I was literally so annoyed that every, like, everybody's telling that this man, you know, that it was a made up, made up person from my imagination when there was literally evidence in my case file that they didn't want to use. Eight long months after her arrest, Cassie sat in the dock in a Bogota criminal court in November 2017, awaiting her sentencing. Uh, I'm thinking that the, uh, to obtain the freedom for Cassandra uh, will be about three years. The convicted drug smuggler was facing 20 years in prison for trafficking the cocaine. Worst case scenario, she wouldn't get out of jail until her mid-40s. It was a nightmare situation that reminded a lot of Australians of an eerily similar story. 13 years earlier, in 2004, Queensland woman Chappelle Corby was arrested at Denpasa Airport in Bali with 4.2 kilos of marijuana hidden inside a boogie board bag. Chappelle was sentenced to 20 years prison and was released in 2014. Was Cassie going to suffer a similar fate? 
In exchange for a guilty plea, Cassie was offered a reduced term. She was sentenced to six years. It wasn't 20, but it was still a devastating blow. Six years in a squalid prison cell with thousands of other female prisoners. So a pre- it was a pre-agreement that I was given because in the laws of Colombia, it says that if you accept a pre-agreement that they can't have a sentence bigger than the fifth part of the max, which for me, it was the minimum was five years, but uh, the prosecutor gave me six years. And it was literally a whole time from from day one to November 1st when I was sentenced, it was <laughs> that I was not going to accept it, I was going to go to a hearing. Like I was literally ready to go to trial. And Orlando would say to me, he's like, no, you cannot go to trial here because here in Colombia, anybody that's caught for drugs, they don't give them like a fair trial. It's more so against the person because they've come to the country, they've, they've changed their country. It, it's disrespectful to their country. So they look down on it and they don't give them a fair trial. And so Orlando said, you know, what we have to do is we have to go and talk to the, the prosecutor. So he, he understands what happened. Okay. In September, I was taken to the prosecutor's office where I met the prosecutor. We spoke to him and he basically said, he goes, I know you're not, he goes, you're not the mastermind behind this. You're not the guilty person. He goes, you haven't received anything. There's no, there's no record that you received money. There's no nothing. And you can see that you were set up. But at the end of the day, he's like, whether, there's people that force you to do it, whether this happened, whether that happened. At the end of the day, your name was on the suitcase and the drug was in your suitcase. And as much as like I, I spoke to the prosecutor, he he was set on that. It was my name was there and that's it. That's that's all they cared about. They didn't care if somebody else was involved, they they did not care. And so the day that I was sentenced, <laughs> I was literally so mad. I was so mad in that courtroom. Like, everyone was saying, why didn't you cry? And I'd say, like, I'm angry because it's not fair. It's it's not fair that this is happening. Like, how is this happening? How is it possible that there's people that are behind this and they don't care? Like, why are they not investigating? And so for the first month, I was at the stage where I'm like, okay, I'm going to appeal this decision and I'm going to find evidence and we're going to go against it. And then it came out that it was it was going to be too expensive to have a private investigator. Uh, and so it was sort of all the things that I wanted to do, I couldn't do. And at the end of the day, Orlando said, just accept it. Accept it. Move on. He said, because, you know, you have you have part to blame it as well. And I said, I know that I have part to blame it because if it wasn't my decision, I wouldn't have been in Colombia in the first place. Like, it was it was my mistake to, to be here in the first place. And so he said, you know, focus on, focus on discounting, focus on good behavior, do whatever you need to do so they can let you out. And that's basically the first six months I was in, I didn't want to, I, when I, I finally started to understand Spanish, like on a good level, in, in October 2017. But I didn't actually officially start talking and making sense until February 2018. 
And from that moment, it was sort of like, no, I need to learn Spanish. I need to learn Spanish. I need to be able to defend myself. I need to be able to do this. And so it was step by step, you know, the time that I would have a loan, I'd think I'd, I'd go over what had happened. It was like a huge reflection process that I had in the time. And then I just, I focused on, on teaching English. I focused on learning whatever I could learn inside. I focused on learning Spanish better. It's actually gotten to the point where there's moments where I struggle to speak English because it's been so long since I've spoken so much English. Like I speak, I would speak Spanish all day, every day. And when I speak to mum, I would speak what we say is Spanglish. And so it's even getting used to English now, it's still quite difficult. Sometimes I get tongue tied or I start mm. thinking in Spanish. And so the word that I want to find in English does not come to my mind. And everyone's saying that I have an accent, which I don't see it. But after three years being in a foreign country, speaking only their language, was something was bound to happen there. Despite being in jail, Cassie, you still had access to a phone and the internet. What was it like reading headline after headline after headline about yourself? Literally, I felt like I was going through like a second jail sentence, like. Seeing the headlines that would come out, reading the comments that people would say. Like even even today I've read one of the comments that someone's saying that, you know, how is it possible that I'm thinking of bringing a child into this world? I'm crazy. I'm going to be a bad mother. And it's I was like, okay. Like it's, I don't know if people make comments to be, make people laugh or they make comments just to judge me. But. I see these comments and these comments hurt. Like I'm human as well and these things hurt because everyone makes mistakes Every and everybody has a right to fix their mistake and move on from it. And so it, it hurts. It really hurts. And that's why I try not to see any of the comments people make. I try not to pay attention to what people say because it, it really hurts. Like I'm in that side of things, I'm really, um, it really affects me because like, it hurts. It hurts what people have to say. And you were in prison, Cassie, for nearly three years. And I'm sure, as you said, you, you had a lot of time to think and self-reflect. Did it take a lot for you to not obsess over what you could have done differently or, you know, think about whether you sh- how you could have changed things, not take that job, done something different, found work in Adelaide, never gone to Sydney? Literally, like, the first year. I would go over and over and over the situation that happened. I would go over the last eight months that happened before I was arrested. Like, I'd go over and I'd go over it. And obviously, when I'm standing from the outside looking what happened, I was like, well, why didn't I do this? Or why didn't I do that? Or or why didn't I do things differently? And literally, I it got to the point where I was obsessed with it. And every time I spoke to my mum, I'd be like, but, you know, but why did this happen? Why didn't... Why didn't do this? Or even with my, after I was sentenced, I'd still do it. But I'd do it more so on the side of my case. I'd be like, my mum, why didn't we do it this way? Or why didn't we do it like that? Or why didn't we wait? Or, and so it was, it was like torturing myself. And then one day I sort of woke up. I actually remember this day. It was, it was in March. It was the day that we celebrate day of the day the day of 
Women's International Day. There in a, in Colombia, it's like eight months. And I literally I looked at myself in the mirror, and one of my my cellmates came in, and she saw she saw that I was upset, and she goes, "Well, what happened?" And so I just said, "No, you know, it's one of those days where I feel useless. I feel like I could have done so much more." To change what happened, and she literally said, "She goes, Sandra, you can't change what's happened. You can't change it. You need to learn to deal with what happened in the best way that you can deal with it, and learn to move on. Because you've you've got your whole life ahead of you, and you're so young. She's like, look at me, I'm like 50, and I'm like, okay. But in that moment, it was when I was like, what am I doing? Like, there's people that have children, there's people that are worse off than me. Like, I need to stop feeling sorry for myself." And I need to, I need to move on from this. And that was literally from that moment. That's when you know I started being more focused on if I could help people, if I could, whatever I could do, I would do it in prison. Like I helped a lot of people. I would a lot of things. What was your experience like being in a women's prison? Was it anything like what we see on television? This prison, it was literally like being in high school again. In the in the way of saying, all the women do is gossip. All they do is they like to gossip. They live basically in the lives of somebody else. They they know absolutely everything there is to know about everybody in every patio. It's not funny. And so, it's the point. Like in these prisons, the women. If you don't, if you don't wash your hair every day, if you don't. Uh, if you don't have new clothing brought in every three months, if you don't have uh, shoes that are from uh, like a known marker or a known brand, <laughs> things like that. It was literally, it was really petty the things that would happen. But then at the same time, the prison was, it was difficult. It was difficult because I never, never missed so many women in my life. And the fights that you would see, and they'd be pathetic fights. They'd be so pathetic, but obviously, when you're all, when there's a whole bunch of women locked up, and women from Colombia are very, they like to voice their opinion. They don't care what anybody thinks. They 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 voice their opinion, and that's it. That's that's what goes. And so that would cause a lot of fights and <laughs> things like that. Is there a lot of violence there? <laughs> there's a crazy amount of violence. To the point where, luckily in the patio where I was, or I, in any of the patios where I'd been, there was a lot more, I could just say people more relaxed, so they weren't so much into fighting. But obviously there there was sometimes like people would punch somebody or slap somebody, that would happen. But whereas in the other patios where they'd actually have knives, they'd have that sort of thing. So you'd often see people going to the medical where they've had the, their mouth cut open or, you know, that they've been stabbed. Lots of things. Like, there's been several deaths in that prison for <clears throat> for stabbing or a lot of people have committed suicide there. A lot of people have thrown themselves from the, from the, the stairs. A lot of things have happened there. While Cassie languished behind bars at El Buon Pastor Women's Prison in Bogota, her life changed unequivocally. Her engagement to her ex-fiancé Scott Broadbridge broke down and rumours of her life as a sex worker in Sydney inked the pages of every major newspaper. For the first few months, 
Cassie said she wallowed in pity and shame, obsessing over the huge mistake she'd made. But in an incredible twist, she was able to make lemonade out of lemons. Cassie fell in love with a fellow prisoner, Venezuelan woman Jolie Pico. Their relationship blossomed while Cassie taught her English, and now the pair are even engaged to be married. Jolie popped the question while they were both still behind bars. So Cassie's last days in prison were spent planning her wedding and discussing the possibility of starting a family with her new fiancé. Then, two years and 11 months into her six-year sentence, Cassie finally found the light at the end of the tunnel. In April 2020, she was released on parole earlier than expected due to coronavirus. Cassie was a free woman. Her strict parole conditions mean she will stay in Colombia for the next two years and is banned from any international travel. But Cassie says that's okay. She plans to find a job teaching English thanks to her newfound fondness for the Spanish language. Cassie, now 24, is a world away from the terrified young girl caught red-handed at an airport in 2017. She's grown up a hell of a lot. She's mature and happy and confident. She also wants people to know that she's done her time and she's paid the consequences for her actions. She's no longer cocaine Cassie. Meet Cassie, a free woman with the world at her feet. Incredibly, you actually found love in prison, didn't you, Cassie? Can you tell me about her? Yeah, it, was, it wasn't what I expected, honestly. It was never... I can't say that I went into prison expecting this to happen or even that when I was in there that I was looking for it. It was sort of one day I was sitting I was sitting downstairs and I was helping the person who basically calls out people in the prison. Mm. And Jolly Jolly's her next to me on the stairs and she just started talking to me. And I was actually always wanted to learn English. Uh, and she sort of made the comment, you know, do you want to teach me English? And so I was like, yeah, okay, sure. Because a lot of people would always ask me to teach them English and it was sort of the people that actually wanted to learn English, they would actually come and look for me. They wouldn't wait for the opportunity to see me sitting alone to tell me. And so the next day I saw her sitting outside and I was like, hey, do you actually want to learn English or was it just like a joke? And she's like, no, I really want to learn English. And so I started teaching English to her and one of my Italian friends that I have in prison. And from there, it just, we started talking, we started getting to know each other. And she told me all about her life, I told her about mine. And then roughly two months into like being good friends, that's when she said, you know, I like you. And I was like, what? <laughs> Where did that come from? And so, like I sort of ignored it. Like I knew that she liked me, that I ignored it, but we kept, like we kept being friends. And then one day, it just, it became mutual and we haven't looked back since. Like she's literally something that I never expected and we have two different cultures so sometimes it's bigger for silly things but she's literally like the class clown. Like everything is funny to her, everything is funny and sometimes it annoys me but, uh, but no, she, she's been really good for me. She's, she's a person who, who's given me a lot of strength. Especially in the last, in the last mm, eleven months that I was there, she gave me a lot of strength. Like she was literally like what held me together. 
especially when I got sick, when everything happened, she was she was always there to help me. And Cassie, if you could go back and talk to the 22-year-old version of yourself and warn yourself, what would you say? I would literally be very harsh with myself. I would literally I'd be saying, you know, don't be an idiot. Don't be stupid. Find another way to, to fix your problem. Um, that nothing more easy comes, easy goes. And that you know, to be to have the strength, to have the strength to to figure out what was what's right to do and to talk. Talk to the people that were around me, explain what was happening because obviously that's that's something that I never did either. I never spoke to the people that were near me and say, you know, look, I'm struggling, like look, can you help me? That I never sought out help. That's wonderful. And thank you so much for speaking with us and being so honest about your experience. Um, it was a pleasure to have you on today's episode. No, thank you. Thank you for talking to me and giving me the chance to, to be able to speak about it. Thank you for listening to Investigates. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate, review and subscribe. Thank you and see you next time. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.